You are listening to the Body Charge Podcast, and I'm your host, Sandy Sanderson. I'm honored today to have my guest as Dr. Robert Yoho. He is 67 years old and retired two years ago to become an author. He brings with him much experience as a board-certified emergency physician and later as a certified cosmetic surgeon who specialized in breast enhancement, liposuction, and facial procedures. His recent whistleblower books are Butchered by Healthcare and Hormone Secrets. Dr. Yoho, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sandy. Uh, let me just uh, put in a 10 second uh, disclaimer. Um, you know, first of all, you know, even though I practice medicine for, for my whole life and it have advanced training and degrees and all that, you don't have to doctor me here. I'm Robert. And second of all, um, this is not specific medical advice. If you need healthcare, get it from your physicians and other providers. So that's, that's the uh, disclaimer. Yes, we're here um, really to empower people and just to share information from personal experience and people can take on board what they wish, what they think is relevant for their own use. Exactly. Um, it's a little bit like an information smorgasbord, isn't it? You pick what yeah. you want. <laughs> so, so the title of today's um, podcast is, Psycho is Psychiatry Heading for Extinction? So we, we're going to discuss a little bit about the relevance of um, what we call psychiatry in the current medical system. And is it enough is it doing enough to help people recover from stress and mental illness so those two things go together because we know excessive stress and traumas uh, are usually the the uh, triggers that then eventually lead to some kind of mental disorder perhaps like ptsd um, depression um, a, a whole a raft of different kind of mental um abnormalities and when people feel um something's not right or they're not thinking properly or they've lost confidence or they just you know lost the zest for life and they've they're um they can't pick up the pieces they don't know what to do they're in real distress it's affecting their job their family so so the first thing they might do is go to the doctor and say doctor i'm i'm so feeling so bad and what the doctor the GP might do is give them some medications, might give them some benzodiazepines and Valium or something else, depending on what the issue is. And, on, you know, the, what we're seeing now is a, a, a huge uptick in the incidences of mental illness and also addictions, addictions to medications. So the question is, are we heading in the right direction? We're just grabbing drugs to solve the problems. And um, if you can just elucidate on how the medical system got to this stage and why it's not really helping us the way we expect. Okay, so the, the basic uh, numbers are that, now this, you know, I'm obviously wrote, wrote this book about America, right? But don't think that Australia is exempt. Australia has plenty of problems. It interlocks with our system. And as far as I can tell, we export every bad idea that we have to Europe and Australia and Canada. Um, so in America, the health services cost twice what it costs in Australia, Canada, and Europe. In other words, we spend almost 20% of our gross domestic product on healthcare. Warren Buffett calls it the tapeworm of, of our economy. It's crazy. And he thinks that we've got to solve this problem or we're the whole economy is going to crash. 
But what's what's perhaps worse is that 50% of what we do and a whole lot of what you do is either ineffective or it's actually harmful to patients. And this is not academically controversial. There are plenty of papers that state this. And I mean, there are a lot of, I have a lot, I have 500 references in my book to back up what I said. And we're going to cover this one small area of psychiatry, which I believe is one of the most corrupt specialty fields in medicine, but there's, there's plenty more new, bad news. Um, so how I got into this, I started reading bit by bit. And, you know, you've probably heard that old Indian story about the man with the elephant who one, one guy has his hand on the elephant's trunk and the other guy has his hand on the elephant's toe. And they think that's the whole elephant. Well, there are plenty of um, corruption fighters in medicine, and they've written these books. And so I amalgamated all that information and put it all together for sort of a unified picture of the, the mess. And I, I, I got into this thing thinking I would uh, uncover a can of worms, but I, actually what I found was a dumpster full of worms. So, so anyway, psychiatry is uh, one of the worst problems. And the problem, the central problem in psychiatry is... Uh, that they basically don't have um, any studies that support their drugs. Now, psychiatry became drug psychiatry 20 years ago. Before that, it was talking psychiatry. And now that we've got these biological uh, theories and these ideas like the fact that they, they claim that uh, drugs like Prozac, the SSRI antidepressants, um, cure a chemical imbalance in the brain. Now, you've heard that story, I'm sure. Well, that thing was, that idea was invented in a marketing department at SmithKline Beecham. It was not, it's not a scientific thing. And actually the real scientists uh, cringe when they hear that. Similarly, there's a, a dopamine theory of uh, schizophrenia and other diseases. None of this stuff is confirmed science. What we have is we have a series of exceedingly toxic drugs that are promoted very heavily by their makers by giving physicians money and um, having them, um, you know, prescribe and promote these things, and worse yet, by altering the standards for their prescription through a document called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM. You've heard of that, I'm sure. Yes, yes. So the DSM is almost entirely a creature of the medical industry. It's put together by doctors on the payroll, primarily by doctors on the payroll of big pharma and, you know, the psych drug company manufacturers. Yes, I believe so, that there's there's a lot of um, terminology that they just invented and attached a series of symptoms to them. And those symptoms overlap many times, many other kinds of conditions. And those symptoms can actually relate to something very physical going on in the body, um, something pathological and my concern is that if you just rely on a, a title you've invented and a series of symptoms attached to that, how do you know that it's not another pathology that should be addressed that might be missed if you just give someone drugs to rebalance their dopamine or their serotonin under that? It's a theory, isn't it? It's really just theorizing, but without it, proofs or tests. It's worse. It's actually voted on by the entire membership of the psychiatric association. So these these uh, these things, and they they spend a lot of time worrying about some uh, their political correct ideas and terminology is based in very little. It's not based in study. Now there's a central problem with the studies of these psychiatric medications, and that's they don't have adequate controls. That is the sugar pills. Now, and in other words. 
what's happened in America is we've now got 17% of the entire population on site drugs, right? And so it's hard to find somebody who would be appropriate candidate for a sugar pill. So they don't have good studies. Their ideas are entirely, um, you know, fabricated from, you know, these, these, um, these co constructs that the psychiatrists put together. And the, def the very definition of psychiatry is diseases that have no outer showing in laboratory tests or imaging studies. In other words, they call it functional medicine. And if there is any sign of thyroid disease or some other um, problem, they send it off to see the internist or someone else and they don't treat them. They only treat things that are entirely subjective and their studies are based entirely on their own surveys, you know, written surveys and their own impressions of what's going on, which is um, it's without artistic. placebo It's a bit artistic, isn't it? You, it's yeah, it's, it's, very it's artistic. like looking at a picture and going, how do you interpret that, that piece of artwork? What, what's your take on it? But there's no like universal, this is right. So if you get a number of different psychiatrists, um, providing an independent analysis of or a diagnosis for someone that could come up with completely different results, couldn't they? Or opinions. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. And, and so, so it's entirely subjective. And these guys, um, you know, basically. So you can't prove anything. You can't prove any diagnosis. It's not provable, not testable. You can't get a scan. You can't get blood test. You can't get um, a biopsy. You, you can't prove anything with independent physical testing. That's correct. And so the only controls we have for psychiatry are the third world, right, where they can't afford the drugs. So in the third world, these entities, these disease, these supposed disease entities that were constructed by votes in the American Psychiatric Association or whatever it is, um, these entities have better outcomes long-term in the third world without the drugs than they have in America. The other thing that's uh, interesting is that the number of people on psychiatric disability has, has elevated in tandem with the drug use. And the chronicity of these diseases is thought to be due to the actual medication consumption by the acute observers. Now, psychiatry is unique among medical fields in that there is a large group of what we call psychiatric deniers, psychiatry deniers. And these people don't believe the psychiatrists are legitimate at all. And they include large groups of psychologists, laymen. They include the Scientologists, but it's not all Scientologists. Scientologists have been against psychiatry since the probably the 50s or the 60s, long before the drugs even became <laughs> commonly used. Um, but um, these psychiatric deniers, unlike any other field in medicine, they claim that uh, psychiatry is entirely Ill illegitimate. And I think with the way they're using these drugs promiscuously, I think they're right. I think that these drugs are used illegitimately on this vast swath of people. Anyone that walks in a doctor's office, even a primary care doctor's office with two weeks of depression gets a prescription for an SSRI. And those things are toxic, very addictive. Yeah, so it's the easy way out, isn't it? It's like you've got a headache and you're just popping aspirins and painkillers 
without actually addressing the problem that's causing the headache. So we we're using psychiatric drugs the same way. We're not really looking at the underlying issues that might be there. We're just um, dumbing, numbing and dumbing. And then that, then that causes a problem to the liver, doesn't it? Because if you constantly take these medications long-term, so initially you might have, have a medication that just calms everything down because you've gone into some kind of acute phase of hyperactivity and and in an acute situation you know it's like just just you know calm them down and stop them from overreacting but then what happens after that people get hooked on those medications and then they can't come off and then if they come off they have even worse reactions and side effects and so they're they're really um, doomed to being on these medications for years, sometimes for the rest of their life. I don't really think that that was meant to be that way. And then the liver has to cope with trying to get rid of all the waste products and the the uh, the uh, the chemicals in that people can't cope. And I've, I've read a lot of literature such as um, the book Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime um, by uh, Professor Peter Gotcha. He was the original founder of the Cochrane review and they went very very deeply into psychiatry and looked at the studies and you mentioned that before that they they didn't conduct um, high quality studies and they um, cherry pick the data or they hid data for instance um, many of the studies um, if you took the raw data which the Cochrane review did they showed that once they're on those psych drugs, there's a high propensity for them to develop suicidal ideation. So the, the, the ideas and the motivation to commit suicide, which wasn't there before, start to become more and more prominent. And they found when they analysed the raw data that the um, people that stopped in the middle of the study and couldn't continue they, they cancelled, they couldn't um, tolerate the medications. They went out maybe a week or two later and committed suicide. Well, they weren't included in the study. They were completely locked out and weren't counted. And yet the reason that they went out to commit the suicide was because they were having an issue with the medications they were on in the trial. So if you've read Gotcha, am I pronouncing that right? Because I always get it wrong. Get, Peter Goetje is like Goetje. Goetje. Okay, you're for some you you are better a Swedish uh, uh, with your Swedish language than I am for some reason. Oh, so, I studied German when I was in high school. <laughs> Goetje. So thank you for the correction. So um, that that book was one of the most. I mean, I've got 500 references, and it and you can easily access them through clicking through the ebook, right? But that book, it's it's exceedingly depressing. I could hardly make my way through it myself even though I knew most of the material in it, or I had a, a pretty good idea, but, but that, that guy is the most prominent intellectual in uh, evaluating medical corruption. And I appreciate you greatly for reading it because I haven't run into anyone else who's read Goethe before. I so saw thank, him do a speech. Yeah. He came to Australia a number of years ago when he launched that book. And I, I went to see him give a presentation and he is absolutely brilliant, He's wonderful, brilliant. lovely, gentle man with, a, yeah. with an amazing spirit. And I, I just had to um, read it because I do know some people, I'm sure everyone knows some people who have dealt with mental health issues. Who've been and destroyed so, by the drugs. You have been destroyed. And, you know, there are other issues that pop up, like they develop 
diabetes and heart disease and you know it really shortens their lifespan and in all of the studies and the reviews they found once people are on these psychiatric drugs for a number of years their lifespan is shortened compared to the people that don't go on those drugs it's certainly true for the atypical antipsychotics i'm not sure <laughs> I don't, i'm not sure whether it's true for the ssris and the benzos so um did you realize that um uh, Gertrude was thrown off the Cochrane? Yes, and he's the founder. Yeah, he's, yes, a, he's well, it was one of taken, taken it's over. Outrageous. Yeah, it was it's outrageous. I pharmaceutical I mean, interests, yeah, so that's right. we know what so happened. You kept up that. with it. Yeah. Good for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I I think that serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, are also quite dangerous because I've read subsequent studies that revealed when you block the reuptake of the serotonin and you overload the system with serotonin, it oxidizes and becomes toxic. And so then you have a, a, a ricochet, a slingback effect, which is very detrimental. And so they don't know how to balance it. So, so they've, they've got theories and they'll go, well, we'll add this to the potion. I found when I've dealt with a few psychiatrists through people I've known, I've tried to help them spoken to the psychiatrists and they seem to experiment they don't really have it's I ask, what's the therapy. mechanism of action what yeah. what are you aiming to do so I know someone who has autism that had a meltdown all they needed was something to deal with anxiety something very simple and some talk therapy and you know a safe place and they would have been fine to gather themselves together, but instead they were given antipsychotic drugs and then became addicted. So then they they had reactions to every single psych drug. They took them through the whole toolbox that they have, all yeah. the different ones. We'll try this. If that doesn't work, we'll try that. If that doesn't work, we'll try that. There doesn't seem to be any plan or any idea of what anything is supposed to do. It's so hit and miss. I don't get okay. it. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's crazy. So we could go through these drugs from probably the least toxic to the most toxic, and the probably the least toxic is the benzos. So those are like the uh, Xanax, um, uh, Valium, Valium type drugs, yeah. Um And those things are quite addictive. And uh, let's give Xanax as an example. Xanax is a short-acting drug. Uh, three hours after you stop, after you take it, uh, the anxiety returns. You get a rebound of anxiety. You feel terrible. Um, the initial studies on Xanax were performed over, I think, six or eight weeks. And, the, the, you know, for three weeks, they did better, something like this. For two or three weeks, they did the same. And then the last couple of weeks, they did much worse. And the drug was approved despite this for short-term use. And, of course, it immediately became one of the best-selling drugs of all time, maybe the best-selling drug of all time, and became used. People were popping them like, uh, you know, M&Ms. So the second class of drugs is the SSRIs, which we alluded to. These drugs have a major problem with violence and suicide. Now, it's not everyone, but it's a couple of percent of people have, and it may be higher numbers, have suicidal thinking or um, violent thinking. But there, there, there are a lot of people commit suicide with these things. It was known in the initial trials by Lilly of Prozac, and it was concealed and brought out in testimony during several cases. And Lily spent 
decades settling these cases. They've spent, as of 15 or 20 years ago, they've spent $50 million. I'm sure it's a heck of a lot more now. So those drugs are flawed. They're tremendously addictive. And the, the withdrawal symptoms mimic the original syndrome. So it's hard for anyone to get a, a feeling for just what is going on because they think their problems are coming back. Well, Whereas, and they told, I think that they're told by the psychiatrist, oh, you, they're not side effects. They are your disease. Yeah, exactly. So it's a revolving door. So, so in the third world where these drugs can't be afforded or are not given as frequently, these entities like depression or whatever they're given for anxiety, they're, they, they have the same aspects that we were taught in medical school. And I'm 67, so that was a long time ago. But we always were taught that these things come and go, that most of the people don't have severe continuous symptoms. But um, for modern America and for Australia, of course, um, these drugs are prescribed so promiscuously and everyone's addicted to them. And so the incidence of um, people getting on chronic disability and having chronic psych disease, psychiatric disease has gone through the roof and in tandem with the drug use. And the, the smart observers like Gertje think that's causal. It's caused by the drugs, which makes sense to me. Yes, so we, we have a drug problem in, in whole populations. And that needs to be um, addressed because it's not really heading in a good direction. It needs to the be street, turned around. The street, a, drug, drug, the street drug problem is a joke compared to the prescription drug problem. Now, it's not quite a joke because in America, the street drugs, uh, at least the I believe the opioids resulted in 93,000 deaths last year, which was up from 60,000, which was up from a baseline of about 50,000 over the last four or five years prior to that. The Gertje estimates that the fatalities in U the US and Europe due to prescriptions are 250,000 deaths a year. Now that sounds conservative to me. I don't know how we could come up with a figure, but um, it, they're phenomenally toxic. And it's not just the psych drugs, it's many, many other medications. Yes, opioids are a big problem. Um, I did read too that um, a lot of addictions come from if people have had an accident or an injury and then they have to have surgery and they are introduced to these pain medications as a way to deal with the recovery from that operation and then they can't come off them. Exactly. Um, what we've done is we, 20 years ago, roughly, we changed our opioid policy and this was at the prompting of a drug company named Purdue, which publicized these ideas that the opioids were, their, opi their particular opioid called OxyContin was basically harmless, not addictive, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's just another variant in the opioids, which we've known about for hundreds of years, uh, you know, originally synthesized from poppy plants or made from poppy plants and now, you know, made in the laboratory. And it wasn't true. And so what we did is we exposed a vast swath of our populations to opioids and 5% of us are very vulnerable to these drugs. That's just a wild guess. Um, but these people get addicted and they never get off of it. They never are able to operate and function normally again. And they, many of them need the drugs in order to just get up in the morning and do whatever they have to do, uh, let alone going to work. So, so that produces the addiction problems. It produces the street drugs, are used because the 
um, you know, once the physicians became aware of it and the medical societies and the medical boards, they censured the doctors prescribing these things. So immediately we turned to the street drugs and the Mexican black tar heroin just came running across the border, no problem. And they would often operate, the dealers often operated right outside the, um, you know, the uh, pain clinics. So it's, it's just been a tragedy here. It's a, it's a business of disease, isn't it? It's profitable to keep people sick, really. Well, if you, think about, if you think about the psych drugs, these um, physicians in cooperation with pharma have enabled prescribing of psych drugs, and not just one, but multiple psych drugs, to 17% of our population. 12% last year were placed on antidepressants, which is just, I mean, it's just a stunning thing. Now, that's a great profitable thing for pharma, but just imagine when they can get a narrative going that a vaccine needs to be taken by everyone. I mean, that is a, that is a profitable drug when you've got something for everyone. With these psych drugs, they're looking for new markets and they're claiming that people should be prevented from having depression who have heart attacks. In other words, they use them prophylactically. That's an enormous market too. And it's a crazy idea because the drugs are so, so toxic and so, so addictive. And like you, I have many friends that are stuck on Prozac or other SSRI antidepressants because I, in my opinion, they're brains damaged. They just can't get off of it without undergoing horrible withdrawal. It, yes. takes, it can take a year and a half or two years of tapering doses to get off of one of those medications. Yes, you do. You lose brain cells. Actually, brain cells become destroyed over the years of use of those psychiatric drugs. And this is confirmed by several studies. Um, well, that's certainly true for the, the antipsychotics, and it's true for amphetamines and the amphetamine relatives. I don't know about the SSRIs. I haven't read that, but um, they're, they're a disaster if you have to keep taking this thing that blunts you out and makes you numb and doesn't enable you to do the, the most important job of your life, which is interpret your pain and act, you know, and be an, a clear agent of your own, be a, uh, an agent of your own, uh, uh, of your own. Well, that's interesting. That brings us back to taking the aspirins instead of looking at the real reason that you have a problem. Um, you know, it's the old saying, if you if you have a pain in your foot, um, rather than taking an aspirin, take your shoe off and get the stone out. <laughs> <laughs> we should be looking really for what is causing the problems. And so that's where I want to go with this. Um, Surely everything can come back to some kind of pathological reason, some kind of physical cause. Um, and we just sometimes don't know what that is. And if there's a vacuum and we don't understand what's caused this person's mental problem, then we just automatically prescribe drugs. Well, don't know, but you know, this will numb and dumb it down. Just feel the pain and off you go. And you know, as you said, they eat them like candies. Um, but what happens is we destroy our lives and the quality of life is destroyed and we become more, become more and more dependent on the pills like junkies. And we have a junkie now, junkie society, uh, which is very scary. You know, what about future generations? We're, we're really heading for, I think, a population demise because we're not addressing the fundamental issues of the cause, the, the a priori primary cause and the chain reaction that happens in the body physically. 
And so I'm quite interested in the new areas of neurobiology and looking at how the brain works. Now we have all this wonderful technology where we can do scans and we can measure the activity of certain parts of the brain in relation to something else. And we have controls and we can see much more now with the technology than, than we did many decades ago. When psychiatry, you know, as you said, started to hop on the drug bandwagon, um, which is the easy uh, answer. And, you know, now funding is reduced from hospitals. That's often all they have. There are no psychologists, no talk therapists. There's no one, no social, not enough sociologists, social workers to go around and talk to people to try and resolve issues. So they're in a revolving door. They, they keep having, perhaps if it's PTSD, a repetitive thought which came to them from the trauma they've experienced wherever it might have been in, in a war situation or an accident or something's happened traumatic and they can't get out of that revolving door thought and the constant same thought and the fear causes stress never ending stress so what i think is that the stress chemicals actually start to erode us they cause an acid um, uh, free radical production system that just keeps churning and churning and over time we we just dissolve from this constant stress um, and no relief from it we we can't get back into the parasympathetic mode we can't rest and digest properly because we're plagued with constant stress and is is the the synthetic um alternatives the synthetic um, remedies in the hospital systems uh, of medications and drugs and antipsychotics all they do is delay problems and cause other worse problems as i said before this diabetes the heart disease so we, we leave ourselves open to liver problems lots lots of um, other kind of health issues we shorten our lifespan and we reduce the quality of life whereas when you mentioned before other societies in the poorer countries, um, in the third world, for instance, they go back to nature. They eat um, a certain diet. They they add herbs. Um, they rest, um, and they they have social interactions where people come and talk to them, and they try and unravel issues. They try and get rid of the cause of the stress, and over time, the body heals and seals itself it fixes itself when it's got all the environmental conditions there so it's a question of adjusting the environment to help the body recover itself because we have i guess we have genes we have programs in those genes that know how to heal and and recover if the environmental conditions are there. And so that links us back to magnesium because the more stress people have had, the more they lose magnesium. And then when we're short of very important nutrition, um, the body doesn't have the ingredients um, and the materials, even though it knows how to, it needs certain um, inputs to then heal and recover. And so I don't think, and, and the gut is very important, gut-brain connection. I was speaking to a psychiatrist a number of years ago, and I was commenting that all the people in that ward, they had very distended swollen stomachs. And here they were feeding them a lunch of 
you know, white bread and buns and lots of processed carbohydrates. And they, they were all having massive amounts of gas and gastrointestinal issues. And of course, you know, some people have gluten intolerance and that's known to make people hyperactive. Um, and so their, their answer was just to give them more Valium or more, you know, whatever the drugs they were being administered just to increase the dose to calm them down. They never looked at the diet that they were feeding the patients in the ward, that perhaps they are the triggers or that they're a big part of the triggers that cause those behaviors. So I would really think that in the future of medicine, we would look very much at the contribution of diet and genetics. Certain people with certain genetic predispositions are more sensitive um, or they need a particular diet where someone else can tolerate something someone else can't. Um, so we need to look at diet and, and genetics and, you know, and nutrition. Um, and rest and some more talk therapy because at the end of the day we're human beings and we need love and we need relationship with others we need to feel safe and we need to feel safe in the company of others um, and we just need a sounding board often we need just someone to be there to talk to that we trust and to get those thoughts out and to have a sounding board brings us back to to uh, a balanced position whereas if you're always in your own head you've got unrealistic thoughts going through your mind all the time and no one to talk to about it you don't even know that those thoughts are unrealistic that they they're you know just fantasy but when you talk to someone you start to realize you you self-edit and I think we've lost a lot of that talk therapy self-editing um, so I'd like psychology to be a major part of the remedies uh, for people's mental health issues. What do you think about that? Well, I, th I think that um, we have changed the psychodynamic theory of uh, psychology into the medication theory of psychology and all this stuff about, you know, um, missing chemicals in the brain and all this stuff. And it's, it's all a bunch of hot air, frankly. I mean, it's, it's no more solid than uh, some of the psychological theories about the mother and the, you know, wanting to sleep with your mother and all that stuff. So, so uh, the psychiatrists have lost uh, this vast majority of their credibility in my view. Now I can just outline quickly the other couple of psych drugs that are commonly used by the psychiatrists, if you'd like the, the, um, Atypical antipsychotics. Now, the older antipsychotics, name like Thorazine, you've heard of that, I'm sure. They had this horrible side effect um, called tardive dyskinesia. And I don't know if you remember. You've ever seen anybody move their mouth? Yes, in a funny yes. Way. And the person That's, I know, they had that that jaw goes to the side, and they can't yeah. control the tongue, and they're That's always a, walking back and forth. They can't sit still. That's a that's those are two different side effects which are closely related uh, and they are called extrapyramidal side effects of the antipsychotics right so they those things I believe they were available since the 60s right and so they were that we gave us ability to completely knock out uh, anyone who was causing an awful lot of trouble uh, but as to how efficacious they were on their long term treatment they probably weren't that good um, but more recently, these atypical antipsychotics have been developed, and they were initially billed 
or are advertised as having less of those horrible side effects, which actually boil down to brain damage because often they're chronic. And you know, the, some of the studies have shown brain shrinkage with chronic use of these antipsychotics. Yeah. Well, it turns out the atypical antipsychotics uh, have many of the same characteristics as the typical antipsychotics. But despite all this, they've been prescribed like jelly beans. And they've been given to people with depressions that aren't immediately amenable to um, the uh, antidepressants, the SSRIs. They've been given to people with anxiety. I mean, the, the, the military people that have left the military, it must be a quarter of them have left the military with a sack full of medicines they're supposed to take every day. And they're all addictive. They basically ruin these guys' lives. Um, yeah, not universally, but in many cases. It doesn't seem to make sense sometimes. They're given uppers and downers at the same time. They're giving them things, drugs to stimulate, and then they have to give them drugs to calm them down or to be able to sleep at night. So they have contradictory chemicals running through the body. I don't understand the theory of it. And then that causes other side effects, dry dry eyes and no spit and dehydration. And brain damage. <laughs> you know, and brain damage. Yeah. No, these a trial of therapy, in other words, trying something to see if it works is a venerable uh, way that doctors do certain kinds of medication and they see what works the best. But the psychiatrists have taken this to a new level where they all have their individual grab bags of techniques that they use. There's nothing proven, virtually nothing proven. And, and these guys, um, they, they, they are, uh, their, their disease entities are poorly characterized and nobody knows what works because the studies are inadequate. Historically, I mean, I, I sort of felt sorry for them for a long time until I understood how bad their treatments were. Historically, their treatments have involved uh, brain surgery called lobotomy, which won a Nobel Prize at the time. I re read that last century. Yes. Outlawed. And, and yeah. they developed ice pick surgery. They yeah, that's the same thing. <laughs> and, and ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, therapy, which electroshock. has a mortality or death rate of one in a thousand. And, it, you know, it creates a permanent memory damage in many of them. And they crash their blood sugars with insulin and they use cold therapy. They threw these poor people in, in uh, bags of uh, ice and so on and so forth. Um, and now there's some new abusive therapies developing. They give these people, they give people with like low grade uh, anxiety and depression, um, they give them microdosing of anti, of these uh, drugs of abuse like LSD. And so I think this is another abuse, but who knows, maybe there's some merit in it. Yeah, I, I've actually heard some good reports coming out of those investigations into psychedelic medications yeah. um, and that they're not addictive. Well, there, um, there were good reports about uh, ECT and yeah. lobotomy, too. And they weren't just good. It won the guy the Nobel Prize. So I'm skeptical, Sandy. I, I don't, I don't, I'm skeptical. And I'm not skeptical about human contact and talk therapy. And even the physical restraint. Yeah. 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 And and I think, you know, in the old, old days, um, doctors performed um, much better as family physicians and they will get to know the whole family and the children and the parents and the grandparents and there were there was 
there were generations that had the same doctor who would come and ask you how what's been happening in your life and how are you feeling and you know what he would get or she would get uh, a picture of their life their stress levels how things were going you would get a, like a whole picture and get an understanding and get involved with that family and know um, a little bit more about the dynamics of what might be causing a particular problem. And then, you know, they, there's the, the placebo effect as well. So the doctor might prescribe, you know, you do this and you have your chicken soup and you have some herbs and you whatever. And people would believe so much so whatever the doctor said to do then actually their own body would start healing because there's a component which is the mind mind brain connection the mind power itself and we see this with people like Wim Hof who've been able to train their mind to actually control biological processes um, blood a body temperature lots of things can be controlled by mind if you train it but also your own belief in if something is happening. Um, I think this should there should be a lot more research into the placebo effect. If the mind is so powerful, then maybe we can use it in medicine as well. That guy's quite a phenomenon. He's a worldwide phenomenon, isn't he? Wim Hof. He says everyone so, can do it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do it. I don't think I've got the fortitude to, to walk through the snow and all that. Um, so the fourth drug, that psychiatrists use and they have uh, promoted with the help of their industry sponsors and industry gives the their organizations just enormous amounts of money um, is are, are the amphetamines and the amphetamine relatives now we, amphetamines are a century old or something like that and we have known of their addictive qualities and their negative effects for i mean just forever and these were the drugs that the uh kamikaze pilots uh, took to, to go up in the air and try to blow up uh, American ships during World War II. And uh, Japan had, has now a reaction against all these medications. And they basically, they're psychiatry deniers, the whole country. You get, you get thrown in jail if you enter the country with Prozac. True story. Now you can, you can, get, you can bring your little excuse and sometimes they give you permission to bring in a small supply, but it's not something that's, that's uh, these psych drugs are, are not really allowed have, in Japan. I so have a great you, respect you, for the Japanese. Yeah, yeah they're, they're big into gut health and fermented foods. <laughs> well, they don't have an obesity problem at all. And we went to Japan last year and it was amazing. You could see their, their muscles through their clothes. I mean, it, it was just entirely different than America. Yeah, and they, they live longer. They have um, many more centenarians. Our, our, our average mortality is not, it's like number 20th or 30th in the developed countries. It's not that good. Yeah, think, things need to be improved. So we, we have examples from around the world that we can emulate. Um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to review what works and be brave it's enough hard. to change it and be brave enough to we need to change the medical system that's now become a junkie even so so our medical our government sponsored medical systems have also become junkies in a sense that become totally reliant on the pharmaceutical industry to solve all their problems 
and there's no alternative coming from that side of things. So people need to um, take control of their own lives and hopefully not need to end up in hospital or not need, need to have medications by self-managing, you know, diet and, and nutrition and lifestyle and, you know, re relationships and, um, but, you know, if you have an accident, you have something unforeseen that happens, which causes a trauma, then you will end up in that hospital system and maybe get some drugs into you that, you know, potentially can cause addictions down the track. So um, we, we have to really try and educate everyone about what's happening uh, underneath the, the whole system. What You know, it's like white ants destroying something and you know, it looks on the surface like things are going fine, but, you know, underneath it's all eroding away. There are no answers. It's getting worse. Hospital systems are being overloaded. They don't really have enough solutions for um, future changes that need to be done that really has to come probably from a grassroots level. And, um, and our new doctors coming through the system, hopefully that they take it upon themselves to learn more about environment and nutrition uh, as a way to solving or preventing problems as a prophylactic. I want to emphasize that um, if you have a complicated problem that you need healthcare and that we do miracles all the time, every day, but it's just for most of it, um, you basically need help in navigating the healthcare system and you almost need a physician level expertise to figure it out. So do your research and, uh, and, and, and don't, how, how how do we help all the people that have become addicted that really want to get off those medications that hate the side effects, but they, they're scared, they're afraid because they don't want to have um, the worst side effects in the, in the detox part of coming off those drugs. We need more specialists to handle how do you come off medications like that. It can require a compounding pharmacist to make out up tapering doses, and sometimes it takes over a year to, to wow. get off one of those drugs. And you can endure tremendous anxiety and depression and whatever your original problem was during that period. And it's not worth it for a lot of people because they have, their brains are now accustomed to the drugs and they're stuck. And more likely to just keep doing the easy thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, good health is hard work. It, uh, it, it requires effort. And I think perhaps it's just the way people think in society, the instant noodles approach, whatever's easier, but whatever's easier isn't necessarily good for us and in the long run, um, you know, can destroy us. That's true. So um, is there anything I, you would like to add before we wind up this uh, amazing interview? Well, I really appreciate it. Um, your, your time, Sandy. And I think um, drug world is a strange place. And uh, I think, I mean, I can talk about the COVID vaccine if you want. I mean, I, I'm not an expert at the vaccine, but I know these, these companies. And I think that they're, it's, it's a remarkable story. This, these companies are telling us this thing works and it doesn't appear to even be a vaccine. In other words, it doesn't confer immunity and gives it about doesn't. two months and, worth. In fact, the latest statistics coming out from around the world is that the, the influx of people with COVID are now 
the vaccinated ones. Well, we need a different word because it's not a vaccine. Yeah, the ones that have had the genetic modification. Yeah, they've had the jab, right? <laughs> it's it's a GMO. Um, so I, I deal with a lot of people in our business and industry. It's natural and organic, and everyone, you know, wants to as much as possible avoid chemicals, and and live a natural life. And so there's um. You know, in America, you've got mom, mom, moms across America. They've been very strong lobbyists against the GMO movement, you know, because it's a corruption of the food supply. It's, it's not very healthy. They're not, it, the foods aren't good, um, full of the nutrition that we need compared to naturally grown organic foods, which are very high in nutrient, very nutrient dense. And so um, this doesn't help our children. It doesn't help our future generations. We need to try and get back to the basics, really. And the, the current drive towards um, a, a, a mandated medical treatment, which is unproven and does, hasn't gone through a proper long-term testing, is and so dangerous. We don't know if it's going to cause cancer. Yeah, We don't know. I'll quote Orwell to close. Pfizer was initially claiming the vaccine had a quote efficacy of 95%. Orwell's 1945 quote about the delusions of academics applies to this quote. One has to belong to the intelligentsia to believe things like that. No ordinary man could be such a fool. That's what I think about the vaccine. I mean, how would you, I mean, how these, these uh, companies are so powerful, Sandy, that they're flexing now and they don't even care whether we believe what they're saying. You realize pharma has a 1.3 trillion worldwide gross revenues and our federal government here in the United States is only about 4 trillion. I mean, they're, all of healthcare in the United States is bigger than the federal government, roughly. It's at least the same size. It's one big you know, beast. It's a beast. The, the and then, beast. In, as far as the tech companies go, Apple alone has a market cap of two and a half trillion, half the size of the federal government. I mean, these, these people are just out of control. There's no way to take them down now. And I don't know where we're going with it. It reminds me of um, parasites that have taken over a host organ. The host. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Humanity on the planet is the host. And eventually, if the parasites get too top heavy and start skimming off too much and putting too Everybody much does. toxin in, yeah. what happens to the host? They kill the host, and then their own survival is is predicated. So it's um, we're in a situation How? where we have to detox and get rid of the parasites that are abusing the system, that are putting toxins into the system. We you, we can't survive. It's not sustainable. We hear that Australia is far worse as far as the lockdowns than the United States. Is that true? Yeah. So we do have a constitution. It's not really as comprehensive as the U.S., but we have a constitution that that says that, you know, it follows the the Nuremberg Protocols, and you you you're not allowed to mandate uh, medical procedures, um, and people should have freedom to travel between states and. Um, so we have certain rights specified, but the governments are not following our constitution. So the federal government sits back and lets each state, you would call them governors, we call them premiers, 
each state premier to kind of make up their own rules and they're different rules in each state. And then they have, they lock down the state. So we're currently having a lockdown. So the Queensland borders are in full lockdown. Nothing travels across. Um, and you can only travel across if you're an essential service or a courier and you've had the jab. So oh, they're, God. Using, they're using rules to yeah. force people to, to have this medical procedure or it. you can't live, you can't work, you can't do anything. You're in a prison. They put you I'm in a do, prison and say I'm you gonna, can have freedom only if you take this right. needle. It's awful. I'm going to tell you something about Americans. They love Australians. We, we idealize Australians. It seems to us like everything's free and easy over there. But the, I, I think, like a lot of other people, I'm disappointed in you guys. I, I, I mean, am I'm too. really disappointed. <laughs> I, well, look, we're so, only 25 million. And because yeah. we've been the lucky country, which is a classical term that's been used for generations, the lucky country, because we have an abundance of resources and, you know, a beautiful country and, yeah. uh, you know, surrounded by ocean and a beautiful environment. And we've been able to sell wool and produce and, you know, we've been very fortunate because of those resources. So people come here, have a very nice lifestyle. And over generations, we got used to nice lifestyle and we become very easygoing as a culture and known, oh, we're friendly, come and visit us. And, you know, we love the tourists and we'll show you a good time and all of that. And it's still all current. But because we've been living in La La Land, we've been we've got further and further away from the potential of parasites coming in, and you know they're like cockroaches in the corners. You can't see them in the cupboards, and if you keep the cupboards closed, you know they'll do whatever they want in there. But but we won't open the cupboards because we're afraid of what we'll see. And, and so there's got to be a real reality check. My view is that there will be a lot of pain before the population wakes up enough. Having said that, that there are is a, a quite a significant smaller population becoming very active. And apparently we're heading in the next few days for a trucker's lockdown. They're going to block the highway. Oh, I read about that. Yeah, that's yes. probably a good thing. Yeah, well, you know, I wish our truckers would lock it locked They're down. killing small businesses yeah. and nobody seems to care. And it's really awful because small business represents 60% of Australia's GDP. All our economic cash flow depends on small businesses out there. They're efficient, they get the job done, they give the customer service, and the money that they get as income goes back out into the economy and circulates. No one's sending it off to tax havens anywhere. Small business just rolls it around and around. And so healthy economies need that kind of cash flow. And what are they doing? They're stopping the small business, stopping the cash flow, causing a major, major disaster. But you can be free if you take this needle. So it's an economic forcing. It's an economic um um it's a and it's a bit like stockholm syndrome as well they they're making people believe that they're the cause of the problem yeah i know and it's so crazy. it's your the truckers fault. are against they're against the jab correct sorry the truckers are the truckers are against the yes vaccine. well apparently 50 percent on the surveys are refused yeah. to get it and many of them um have put out videos and their commentary and saying we are 
sitting for several hours every day driving trucks and we we have um, higher vulnerability to getting thrombosis and they don't want to put themselves in a further risk yeah. situation I have because, a friend who died of a stroke a week after he got the vaccine yeah so the using uh, so i've seen many scientists and doctors coming out with um the um, studies that they've done using a D-dimer test, which shows that people getting the, the GMO injections um, are developing microclots. So, so that you can't see them on a normal scan, but you can see them with the D-dimer test. And each time you get another injection and another, another one, and they anticipate this being needed to be done year after year, which is going to be great for the coffers of the pharmaceutical companies. Um, each time you do it, you increase the little cellular factories that are making the, the spike protein, which apparently is the toxin. Yeah, it that's is too the far into the weeds for me. I don't know anything about that. But what I really liked about what you said was the Stockholm syndrome. That's where we are right now. We've got the, the, the people that are all excited about uh, trying to force everybody else to get the freaking jab. Um, they're trying to encourage their, you know, they're trying to spread their Stockholm syndrome and they literally are in the thrall of these corporations. So it's, it's an outrageous. And our, our media is totally bought. It's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's, it, 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 there's no more balanced reporting at all. There's no more, well, we'll hear from this side and now we're here from the other side. There's nothing. It's complete hundred percent propaganda yeah. and then they will belittle or make fun of people who dare to ask a question and i don't know if you know this but in australia it is a six month jailable offense for a doctor to prescribe um hydroxychloroquine to treat oh christ COVID. that's awful yeah, there's a robust evidence for both ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Now, hydroxychloroquine, even there was a CDC paper on their journal that came out uh, supporting hydroxychloroquine. Uh, vitamin D, we know a lot about too. Yes, um, and zinc. Yeah, and zinc. So, and, and always vitamin C is and magnesium as well, because magnesium helps the electrical system function. So it cofactors with all of those other nutrients to supercharge their effect. Sandy, with women like you on our side, I don't think they're going to be able to count us out. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, you, they say you should I, you should do what you can do in your circle of influence. So I do what I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't go to Parliament House and tell the <laughs> politicians, you know, we can write emails, but, you know, they tend to um, live in their ivory towers and not really listen yeah. these days, least of all. I hope, I hope this doesn't degenerate into widespread violence. Uh, be, because the things have been getting, getting worse for 18 months. It's crazy. Well, you think psychologically about people that through this, these regulations and lockdown mentality have lost everything. What have, else have they got to lose? And they're going to be really angry. So I've noticed the population is getting increasingly angry, 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 angry. And it's got to go somewhere. It's got to pop. It's got to be... I want to see Me, some of that like, good Australian, like a pimple. <laughs> good Australian spirit that that Americans think Americans think you guys are independent and and not so. Uh, you know, you, you I wouldn't have thought Australia would have been susceptible to this uh, this mind control. But we I, were I late. Thought, we we were late. Yeah. The excuse was that we we can't get the 
Pfizer, we can't get the Astra, they're not coming and we're late. So we started after everyone else. And I think some of the politicians wanted to sit back and watch what was happening everywhere else. And I even heard one comment last year when it first broke, we'll just see what's happening everywhere else first, which I thought, well, that was, that's a safe approach. That's a good thing. Observe and then make a decision. But then somehow they got caught and the propaganda became stronger and stronger that in like in piecemeal, they just completely changed uh, tack and, and became so totalitarian and it's a hundred percent and you do this or not. And they brought in, I mean, Melbourne and Sydney, Melbourne is, has had the hardest run of all of the cities, the Victoria, that state is, is um, really, um, you know, it's like North Korea to, to me. It's like oh. they've got, you know, police in in uh, yeah. those, um, what are they, the, the helmets and the yeah, yeah, quiet yeah. squad. And That's too bad. We don't see that in Queensland. Queensland's a little bit more laid back. They had a protest last Saturday. Several thousands of people marched through the street very peacefully. You know, they were playing music and the police were there just directing the traffic. Nothing happened. We gave a few speeches um, and... So we had no incidences, but that's not put on TV. What they showed on the news broadcast was the riots in Melbourne and how they used tear gas and rubber bullets and they put tear gas in a 12-year-old's eyes and, you know, good ordinary people that were just out to, to walk, to make their voice heard, to say, you know, we don't agree with what you're doing. They're right. being hurt and abused and attacked. I mean, no one in their wildest imagination in Australia would have believed that this was possible because we believed all the time where we lived in a free society we we have a democracy we you know not this is like a bad dream and people are still thinking it's a bad dream and any moment they're going to wake up from that bad dream and it's all going to be over and you know it's not it just keeps getting worse it's like we're surrounded now in a nightmare um, and it, it has to, um, I think it will explode. There will be the straw that breaks the camel's back and the politicians, they, they won't be able to handle it. They, I think they are just following orders. I think it comes down from maybe globalist systems, you know, the World, it's a, it's World a Economic Forum. And, yeah, financial. so Switzerland yeah. and London and... And even the Vatican, I think it's the big corporates, the big well, corporates, the big money, yeah. the big money is running it all. The the bankers and Australia, we call them the wanker bankers. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sandy, anyway, it's been a, a great pleasure chatting with you. Knowledge I is really power. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think people just need to sit down and think more clearly, and you know, work out. Just go back to common sense. COVID was just like a normal cold and flu. It statistically didn't kill any more than an average flu season or maybe a little bit more than an average, but still within that range where there should never have been a a pandemic called at all because that then gave the power to um, legislate and to create governmental controls and to reduce everyone's freedom and rights. And so 
something's gone wrong with the system where it allowed people to change the definition of a pandemic. And then they still, now it's become a case-demic. Just because you have cases yeah, justifies lockdown. And, yeah. and the PCR test is even proven to be the fatal, false. Fatalities is not the reliable. only robust. Yeah. Fatalities so, is the only robust measure of the thing. And that and overall deaths aren't even worse yeah. than, and, than previous years. So what the hell's happening? Overall deaths, that's right, the absolute figure. It's crazy. Well, uh, Sandy, thank you again. It's been yeah. wonderful chatting. Thank you too. And um, um, if anyone is interested, hopefully they are. I'm sure they would be. Your your books are quite riveting. I found your writing really easy to read. Yes, butchered by healthcare. Um, that gives you a, a snapshot, an overview of a lot of different um, components in the medical system. And then the, the other one, Hormone Secrets, focuses on um, managing hormone um, balancing uh, safely, safely, and without necessarily using drugs and medications, but knowing how to tweak things the right way. Uh, and I always love your um, attention to uh, being careful um, um, with, the, with your protocols. And we all need to do that. And we all need to be more aware. And we all need to look for our better doctors who are more um, aware of things like this um, and have a better protocol and not just going for the easy pills. Um, if it's a doctor that will just write you a script without really understanding what's going on, find another doctor. <laughs> That's my advice. So um, um, Dr. Yoho's uh, website is robertyohoauthor.com. That's www.robertyohoauthor.com. And I'll leave the uh, link uh, in the list underneath our video. Um, and thank you very much for this wonderful um, chat. And hopefully people will get a lot out of it. Thank you, yes. Sandy. All the best. Okay, okay. bye. Bye.